Thank you very much. This morning, uh, it's very possible that as we start this series, uh, this last little section on laziness, um, I wouldn't be at all surprised if maybe some of you are going to be uh, tempted to be offended even, or tempted to just kind of push back. But uh, I, I challenge us all to listen, and I am definitely not coming out calling you lazy. I know that's very insulting, but we want to talk about laziness. And if you're new with us here today, and we've been going through a series called Breakable Barriers. And uh, my name is Ike Unger. I'm the lead pastor here at Deer Run Church. And it's a privilege for, for uh, us to be together like this. And if, like I said, if you're new here, we're really glad that you are here with us. So to start us off, I need to tell a few cheesy jokes. Thank you. Uh, appreciate that. Um, so a tourist in the mountains of Tennessee once had dinner with an old, querulous old mountaineer who complained about hard times, and he complained nonstop. He would go on for like 15 minutes at a time, just on and on and on. It would go about how hard life was. So the tourist said to him, Why, man, you ought to be able to make lots of money shipping green corn to the northern, northern markets. I ought to, replied the old man. And the tourist replied, You have the land, I suppose, and can get the seed. The old man replied, yes, I guess you're right. There's just one problem, though. You know, I have this old woman of mine is too lazy to do the plowing and the planting. Yeah. Same reaction I got at home. <laughs> Another story. This one's funnier. Um, a stranger passing along a road and uncertain of his way saw a little shepherd boy lying on the ground beside the road while his sheep were grazing in the distance. Approaching the boy, the stranger asked for directions. The boy, scarcely looking up, simply pointed that way. And that was it. The stranger thanked him but said, My laddie, if you can show me anything lazier than that, I will give you a shilling. Without looking up, the lad said, Put it in my pocket. These are jokes Maria loves, and so I share them for her and her only. But uh, we want to talk today about laziness, and no one point fingers and no one nudge. That's not a good thing to do today, but I get, my guess would be that every single one of us could name a lazy person. That's my guess. I could be wrong, and some of you are like, you know, um, we have lots of them in our, you know, I'm kidding. But um, uh, I, I think that this is a, a conversation we need to have. Now, the other two that we talked about, we talked about insecurity, we talked about fear. And those, I think, are often seen more as unpreventable. You know, there's whatever, something may have caused us to have fear, something may have caused us to be insecure. And those are also things that I think we can talk about more in the sense of a personal, personal lifestyle approach. But the truth is, laziness can seep into our lives in such a way that I think in reality some of us may not even consider it a problem. And so what we want to do this morning is just look at if this is a barrier in your life, if this is something maybe that if you were looking at your own life and going, you know, why is it that I'm so uninvolved? Why is it that I so often seem to be the one who wasn't at that? 
Why is it that I'm the individual who didn't get in, you know, whatever the situation may be? So we're going to look at that. But then we also are going to look at some other things, And as Maria mentioned, about maybe you're super busy and you're not sure you're really doing what you need to do and you maybe want to wrestle today a little bit with why is it that maybe I feel like I'm not connected in something meaningful and yet my life is chaotic, constantly doing something. And so we started with insecurity, and we said in that one that there's a, the flip side, and what we mean by that is kind of the opposite, not necessarily a perfect opposite, but the opposite of insecurity, we said, was confidence. Last week, we talked about fear, and so we said the opposite of fear, the flip side of fear, is courage, and that we need to have courage to overcome our fears. And so this morning, we're going to kind of take that same format again. We're going to talk about laziness. We'll, we'll wrestle with it. We'll unpack it. We'll, we'll see what's, what's there for us. And then I want to look at what's the flip side of laziness. What would be the thing then that would get us to maybe not just be more busy, but also what would maybe make our lives feel more meaningful? And so that's the goal of what we want to do today. Now, there are lots and lots of words for lazy. And, you know, we can, we can do all kinds of things. And, and you know, and I, like I said before, I'm not calling any of you lazy, but I want us to wrestle this morning with, with knowing that laziness is more than just simply being busy. And lazy, I mean, sorry, not being busy. We, we want to be focused on what God wants us to do. And so, like I said, there are lots of names for laziness. You can have things like lethargy. It's, a, it's one word, sloth, sluggish, or idle. And we could name tons and tons of different names out there for an individual who is unwilling to work or use their energy even when they have the ability to do so. And in some ways, that would be a definition of, of laziness. An individual who is unwilling to work or to use their energy even when they have the ability to do so. This is the individual, whether they are involved in something they should be involved in or whether they are just avoiding things altogether, and we'll, we'll look at that more. But here's a person who is just simply unwilling. They are just unwilling to do what needs to be done. They are unwilling to do the things that matter the most. Or they have the, you know, they just do not exercise the energy even when they have the ability to do so. And I think this is so important that all of us obviously then do some inventory in our own lives and say, am I willing to do what needs to be done? Or am I leaving it to someone else? And there's, there's a ton of implications to this, and we'll get to that. Or, or do I have the energy, but I'm simply not willing to do what needs to be done? Why? So not calling anybody lazy, but I think in these times... When the world needs Christians to stand up, when the world needs Christians to be active, when the world needs Christians to be involved in those things that matter most, are we willing? Are we willing to give the energy? Because we have everything it takes to do what God has called us to do. Laziness is contagious. I don't know if you've ever been around people who are lazy and all of a sudden you find yourself working slower. You find yourself going at their pace. Laziness is contagious, and yet it is usually seen in a negative connotation. Not too many people who would say, yes, laziness is contagious, and wow, it's weird how when you're around a bunch of lazy people, all of a sudden you actually find yourself working lazier. Isn't life grand? Most people, even in that, would say, yeah, I don't like that I become like them. 
I don't like that when I'm around so-and-so, all of a sudden I actually catch myself being more lazy. So even though it's contagious, laziness is, no matter who you are, it's almost always seen as a negative. It's as if the person is withholding something from others. It's not just that they're not doing something. When you're around someone who just refuses to do what they should do and what they could do, in your mind, it's this, you, you know, you have this image of them is that they're actually purposely withholding something from others. And the word sloth is one of the seven deadly sins. It, it's an important thing, and so there's a theological aspect to laziness as well. The Bible has a fair bit to say about laziness, and probably no one speaks to it more than Solomon. And so if you have your, your Bibles with it, we're going to be in Proverbs for a little bit. And, and if you have your Version Bible, if you go on the bottom right corner, you can click on that. And you can actually go to events and all the notes are right there for you for the sermon. And feel free to follow along in that way. But in the book of Proverbs, Solomon speaks about laziness quite, a way, uh, quite often. And, and you get a sense very, very quickly that Solomon has very, very low appreciation for anyone who is lazy. To Solomon, negligence, laziness was one of the great evils in the character of a person. And if you think about who Solomon was and all that he accomplished, the idea of someone being lazy, this was a character trait of an individual that he had almost no use for. It would have been one of the great evils of an individual. Here you have all this given to you, and yet you refuse to do something with it. He uses the word sluggard as he describes these individuals, and it simply means to be lazy or a sluggish kind of person. So Proverbs chapter 20, verse 4, and some of you, I will not at all be surprised if after today, you just came up with a new name for your teenager. <laughs> you sluggard, <laughs> you know, and they'll be like, you, you swore, mom? <laughs> no. Anyway, let's read. Let's read. Proverbs chapter 20, verse 4. Sluggards do not plow in season, so at harvest time they look but find nothing. You know, he's like, this is the individual, too lazy to plow, too lazy to invest. And then when it's harvest time and everyone else has a harvest, he's looking around and there is nothing for them. Proverbs 24, verse 30 and 31. It says, I went past the field of a sluggard, past the vineyards of someone who has no sense. Thorns had come up everywhere. The ground was covered with weeds and the stone wall was in ruined. And here again, he, he looks, and here's an individual who, who has responsibility, but hasn't done anything with that responsibility. Proverbs chapter 6, verse 6 and on. He's now speaking to the lazy person, and look at what he says to this individual. Go to the ant. This is a tiny little insect. And he's like, go see an ant. You're, 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 you're so lazy, go see an ant, and maybe from them you'll have an idea as to how you should live your life. Go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider its ways and be wise. It has no commander, no overseer or ruler, yet it stores its provisions in summer and gathers its food at harvest. How long will you lie there, you sluggard? When will you get up from your sleep? And again, he's, he's looking at this individual and he's saying, "My, you're just lying there doing nothing. Just go look at an ant. You don't need someone to tell you what to do, I think is what he's implying here. You don't need someone to, you know, well, no one asked me. 
that kind of an approach. So I didn't do what I did because, you know, I just didn't do anything because, well, no one talked to me about it. And no one gave me any instruction. He said, go look at the ant. They don't have someone constantly yelling out orders, and yet they somehow provide and make sure that they are ready for whatever season comes. Now, I want to go to Proverbs chapter 26, verse 13. There are three things that he says in this section. So turn your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 26, verse 13. We're going to read 13, 14, and 15. And then I want to go back, and I want to just kind of look at each verse and see what are the lessons in this for us. So here it is, chapter 26, verse 13. A sluggard says, there's a lion in the road, a fierce lion roaming the streets. As a door turns on its hinges, so a sluggard turns on his bed. A sluggard buries his hand in the dish. He is too lazy to bring it back to his mouth. Now, there are three incredible little lessons in that verse for us. And so let's, let's take a look at it. The first thing that we see is, in these verses is that they are unwilling, they are unwilling to do anything. They will avoid work at all cost. Maybe you work with someone like this, and they are incredibly creative in coming up with excuses. Some of you that are employers, you may have people that work for you, and you are like, we need to keep a log of all the amazing, amazing you know, excuses people come up with. And if you're a teacher or, or whatever, you probably have a list of incredible excuses that people come up with for why they are not able to do what they should do. Here, the slugger, the individual, his excuse is, you know, there is a lion in the road. Now, if you think about that for a moment, first off, lions rarely hang out in, on roads. They, they rarely ever are on a road. They are almost always in, by their den, which is usually secluded, which is, you know, in a, in a remote sort of a location. He says there's a fierce lion, you know, roaming the streets. And, and so, you know, again, it's creative excuse for why this individual shouldn't go to work. Anything to avoid work. Now, the opposite side of that obviously is okay buddy if you know that there's a fierce lion on the road he's too lazy to even go and do something about it there's maybe women and children or vulnerable people around but this person's like oh there's a lion on the road you know and so instead of going out there and actually doing something about what needs to be done if there truly was this ferocious dangerous lion you would think that this individual would have at least gotten out of bed to do something to serve the community so this person clearly here is just coming up with an excuse. Anything to avoid doing work. Now we're talking this morning not just about your physical labor and those kind of things that you are involved in. We are, we are hopefully processing all of this this morning through our spiritual relationship with God. What does this mean for you and I spiritually? How do we, when we dig into that part, you know, the work that God has called us to do, the commandment, the commission that God has laid on the church, go into all the world. He instructed us, love your enemies. He gave us all these instructions, do good to those who persecute you. All these things that God, not so that we are saved, but as a result of being saved, we are now to serve Jesus. Are we making excuses for why we're not doing our part? And I think this is an important thing. I'm not accusing. I want us to wrestle with this because the opportunities are so great that the last thing we would ever want to say is that we have be 
we, we've be, you know, become into the habit of making excuses for why we are not involved in the things that God is calling us to do. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24, the Apostle Paul is speaking here to a, to a church that is on the very forefront of the gospel. And, and this was a place where there was a lot of craziness happening and, and all kinds of brokenness. And, and yet also people were still very vibrant in their relationship with God. And at the same time, there were those who you could see they were becoming more and more displaced. There's displacement and, and they're not all as, as involved. And so this is what he says to them, verse, chapter 9, verse 24. Do you not know that in a race, all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Think of the implications of that. I think we all get it. Immediately we see where Paul's going with this. That every single one of us understands that when there's a race, everybody runs in the race, but only one person gets the prize. Now, if you think that you can get into a race and at the finish line come up with, like, I pulled a hamstring or I went the wrong way or whatever, oh, here you go, here's your prize, I think all of us immediately understand that's not how it works. So look at what he says. Run in such a way as to get the prize. And, you know, we can just stop there and just basically look at this and say, so when you are called to serve God, serve God in such a way as to accomplish what he has called you to do. Don't make excuses and don't, you know, um, try to avoid the work that God has in place for us. Everyone who competes in the game goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body. I discipline myself to make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. Paul saying here, I am disciplined. I make sure that what I say matches the lifestyle that I live. I make sure that, that after I'm done one thing that I don't now just say, oh, good, I preached, now I can go and just be lazy. I can just be content with whatever happens. He's like, I strike my blow. In other words, I, he's saying, I discipline myself to continuously be at work in doing what God has called us to do. So obviously we as a church and we as believers need to wrestle then with our question of how disciplined are we in our lives? How disciplined are we spiritually to make sure that we do not avoid the work that God has called us to do? The second thing that you see in this text is that this individual is very um, unproductive. It says, as a door turns on its, its hinges, so a sluggard turns on his bed. Now, some of you are probably thinking, that sounds like my kid, you know. Um, I have a son like that. I have a daughter like that. I can't get them out of bed for nothing. They just lie there and toss and turn all night long. What Solomon is implying here is that here's an individual who you could technically say is doing something. They're tossing and turning in bed, but they're completely unproductive. They're not getting anywhere. There's, there's nothing happening other than them tossing and turning in their bed. So it's not like they're just lying there, passed out, like they, they have you know, no energy, nothing. No, you look at them and they're awake or they are alive. They are, their muscles are working. Their brain's working. They are tossing in bed. There is action, but there is no productivity. Now, as Maria mentioned last, when we started this series, I said that you would be able, you are able to be busy and lazy at the same time. This is what we're talking about. That some of us are so busy in life with things that don't matter. 
Some of us are so busy in life that, there is, that we are not pro- productive in any way. We are just busy. We are just going from one thing to another, and we are going and going and going. And at the end of the day, we look back on our lives and say, you know, I, I ran around all day long. I was busy all day long. I'm involved in this, 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 and this. But when it comes to spiritually being productive, it feels like nothing is happening in my life. I think this is an important one for us as a church to examine. That we as leaders do not call you, the congregation, to be busy in all kinds of programs and all kinds of events and all kinds of stuff that really does not produce spiritual fruit. So that's a challenge to us as a church, leaders, but that's also a challenge to every single one of you in this room. To look at your life, to evaluate what you're involved in, and to ask yourself, and I'm not against hobbies, but that's not what we're saying. I know some of you are like, man, I just want to go fishing. I just want to go hunting. I just want to go and hang out and drink coffee. With the- awesome. Awesome. But if the entire of our life focus is to just go, 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 and we've gotten into the routine of just being busy, but we're not productive, I think we need to maybe reevaluate our approach in this area. Let me just throw out a few things, just just for thought, just for thought. For example, if we're spending time on social media instead of interacting in person, why? You're busy. You're sitting in front of a screen for hours maybe, but you're not really interacting. So you're busy, but you're not productive. Going on a date night with your spouse instead of having a meeting, uh, sorry, going on a date night with your spouse to see a movie Instead of having a meaningful conversation, you did something. All the guys hate me now. <laughs> Want to go see Thor? You know, it's very romantic, I heard. You know, um, just hear me out. If you are here today and you know as a couple you need to spend time together, may I suggest that a movie night is maybe not the best productive thing to do? Not that it's not fun, not that there's anything wrong with it. But you can be busy as a couple doing something like that. And at the end of the evening, say, you know, we had fun. But that thing that we need to address is still there. And we didn't address it. So we were unproductive. Let me make some of you mad. You're rushing your kids to every sporting event, every recital, everything you could possibly go to in your school. But skipping church is easy. How productive in the area of spirituality are you? Obviously, church is not the only thing. Anyway, buying something new instead of paying off debt. Buying something new instead of paying off debt. Making small talk with someone to avoid the deeper issues. You know, we'll just keep it simple. We'll just talk about nothing to avoid the deeper issues. And we could go on and on. And and I hope that those give you maybe just a few things to think about. And say, are the things that I am busy with, are they productive? And I believe that if we purposely get involved in things that are unproductive to avoid the things that we need to do, that's the same as being lazy. Or that is laziness. So a third thing that we see in this text is that this person is negligent. It says, a sluggard buries his hand in the dish. He is too lazy to bring it back to his mouth. In other words, this individual literally has their hand in their food. 
but they will not feed themselves. They will rather starve to death than do that little bit of work. Spiritually speaking, let's think about that for a moment as North American Christians. The Word of God is at our disposal probably more so than anywhere else in the world, and some of us are starving spiritually. We have our hands in the food. You have six, seven Bibles at home. You have an app that has the Bible available to you anywhere. You have a computer that you can literally press play and it will read the word of God to you. And some of you and some of us are possibly starving spiritually today. We have our hands in the food, but we are not feeding ourselves. Laziness. Laziness. There's no excuse other than that. And so I think if we look at this and say, oh man, why would someone be so silly and to have a dish of food for them, uh, in front of them and their hands are in it and they are literally withering away, negligent. They are just so negligent with their life. They're not doing for themselves what needs to be done. And spiritually, I think there are huge implications for all of this. And I think every single one of us, including myself, especially myself, I think, is guilty of this so often. So what's the flip side then? The flip side to laziness, I want to suggest this morning, is passion. Passion. Now, this word is a little bit difficult to nail down. Because on the one hand, it could mean to have a strong and, and bearable, a barely controllable emotion. A lot of passion. A lot of emotion. It can be seen as a describing sexual intimacy. You know, this couple was filled with passion for each other. And we would all, you know, um, consider that to be, you know, beautiful. And, and man, it's amazing. And then they have this intense desire or enthusiasm for something. Man, that guy has such passion for that and that. That lady has so much passion for whatever it may be. But the word also means suffering. It's used to describe the suffering and death of Jesus. One could say that passion is the willingness to suffer for something that must be done. To live with passion means that we will take every that we will not take the easy way out in anything. That we will not avoid the challenge, but rather when we are filled with passion, we will live our lives to glorify God regardless of what that will require of us. So during this season, I focused more on the, uh, sorry, during this series, I focused more on the individual. And so this morning, I would like to challenge Deer Run Church as a whole. Do we have passion? Are you willing to suffer for the sake of Jesus? We are a church. My professor, um, Dr. Waf, I'm going to say his name wrong, sorry, sir, Wafi Waba. He says, the community of the church is called by God, redeemed by Christ, sanctified and empowered by the Holy Spirit, in order to live for the glory of God. What he's implying here is that we have everything that we need. We have been redeemed, we have been called, we have been sanctified, we have been empowered. For what? For the glory of God. And so there's this aspect in the, this dimension within the church that's the dimension of the community of the cross. That is that the church is shaped by Christ's suffering. And so therefore, if the church is shaped by Christ's suffering, and if we have eternal life because Jesus suffered and died for our sins, would that then not also mean then that the church may need to suffer? How can we claim and how can we say we will embrace the suffering of Jesus and then expect there be no suffering in the church? And so 
passion means that we would be willing then as a church to say, I will suffer, I will be dis, you know, disrespected or whatever the suffering may be for the sake of the glory of Jesus. Philippians chapter 1 verse 29 says, For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. It has been granted to you to suffer for Christ. So are we willing then as a church to live with passion? Or have we gotten into the routine of trying to take the easy way out of everything? I think the last thing anyone in this church would ever want to be accused of, and that is a deer run church is lazy. Deer Run Church is not pulling their weight. I am so excited that I am part of this church. I am so excited that this church has such a good name in the community. God is using us. Great things are happening. The best is yet to come. We must pursue whatever God has called us to do. So as a church and as individuals, let's close by looking at what will passion ask of you? What will passion ask of you? If you are here today and you're like, man, I want to be filled with passion, beautiful. I want to have the kind of passion that, that will get me to the place where I'm willing to suffer. I want to be passionate no matter what happens. I want to glorify God. What will passion ask of you? One of them is that you, to do what needs to be done. Not what you want to do, but to do what needs to be done. I wonder if maybe some of us at this very moment have something in mind. How different most of our lives would be if it had been governed by this kind of decision making, where we would do what needed to be done. This doesn't mean that we don't have fun. It doesn't mean that, you know, that we you know, always just have to do things that are, that are hard. It has a bit of that concept of delayed gratification where this moment I will do what needs to be done even if there is no immediate reward for me. Where are you willing to work hard now for a later reward? So passion will ask you to do what needs to be done. Next is that it will, ask, it will ask of you to never settle. To never settle. To live your life in a daily pursuit of what God has for you. To never get to that point where it's like, yay, I ran the race, I got first place, done. Not doing anything else. You know, and, and I was involved in this, and now I'm done, and I've served my time, and you know, whatever it may be, that we would never settle, that we would never see ourselves here on this side of heaven saying, I've done all I need to do. I'm settled. I'm good. I'm, it's all, I'm, I'm not doing anything else. Philippi, I'm in Romans chapter 12, verse 11. I don't have it on the screen. It says, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Make sure that you never settle in your spiritual walk with God where it's like, oh, you know, I have a few verses memorized, I'm good. And then lastly, to have purpose. Passion will ask you to have purpose. Passion is not chaos. Passion is not your life every day, just energy, energy, energy. Passion is having purpose. Clear purpose will create a deeper passion within you. Brent Hobbs wrote this definition or this little description of, of passion, and I want to close by reading this to us this morning. It says, passion is waking up in the morning, wherever you are, however old or young, and, and bounding out of bed because you know that there's something out there that you love to do, that you believe in, that you're good at, something that's bigger than you, than you are, and you have heart, you can hardly wait 
to get at it again. It's something you'd rather be doing more than anything else in the world. You wouldn't give it up for money. It means more to you than money. And hopefully it's something that makes the world a better place and it lasts for eternity. I think that's a beautiful description of passion. And I hope that every single one of us, as we go from here, live our lives with passion. Amen. Today, Pastor Ike concluded our Breakable Barrier series by challenging us to live our Christian lives with passion. This means reading and studying the Word of God, doing the hard things, and being willing to suffer as Jesus suffered for us. This will be challenging, and it's possible that for some of us, it will mean reevaluating our time and energy. We want to remind you again that we are praying for you as you grow in your relationship with God. And please contact the office if you need prayer. Have a wonderful week, and you are all dismissed. <laughs>